A lot going on, but I, I think that's one of the, uh, the nice things about that bulletin. You just take it with you and put it in your phones. And look, some of these things are very, all things are important, church, but some things are very important. The 8th is very important. Uh, you'll hear from the pastoral search committee that Sunday and how they come to the uh, candidate that they're going to present to us. And then the last weekend of October is your chance to be here a lot. Uh, and so uh, I encourage you to make sure you get those into your calendars and your smartphones. Of all those announcements, there are a couple that I just want to emphasize. I do want to emphasize the night of worship. Uh, there is a sign-up sheet out there for food. It's just going to be a great time to come and fellowship, eat together. But I want to challenge you. I want, to, I want you to think about that day to, to prepare your heart to worship. I want you to come that Saturday night with a sense of expectation of what God might do in our midst as we gather in to worship him. I've heard this young group many times. Uh, they're not here to entertain us. They seek the Lord. They're going to enter us in, like our praise team, into the presence of God. And things can happen. Miracles can happen when we begin to worship a holy God. Uh, a couple weeks ago, Blake Holder, the, the head of this group, was here. They come and did a site visit and looked at our equipment. And, and, and on that note, I want to thank Chris Farrar. He spent the last couple last week, couple days here, upgrading all of our um, Chris has been a real blessing to the church and his knowledge in helping us with our equipment and our sound. And, but we did a site visit so he could see our sanctuary and see our equipment and all those things. And as I was talking to Blake, he said, now look, Larry, he said, when we're, when we're leading worship, he said, if I sense the Lord's leading for healing, for deliverance, I, I, I'm going to flow in that. I said, Blake, you help yourself. Uh, we want you to do that. And so that's what we're seeking. We're seeking God to move in our midst. And so uh, that's going to be a great night. And that is uh, October the 7th, I believe it is. So make sure I would love to have everybody who's here at that. Next Saturday, Mike and Jolene McAfee will be with us. Many of you know uh, Mike and Jolene. They've been with us before. He'll be ministering uh, evangelists, and she plays the piano and sings. Uh, I've asked her to sing. I mean, I love that song she sings, I'm No Longer a Slave to Fear. I am a child of God. And boy, she can sing that, and she's anointed when she does it. And so next Sunday, they'll be with us. Uh, we will be taking up a special offering for them, giving their an evangelist, but you all are always so faithful to that. But you will really enjoy the ministry of Mike and Jolene McAfee, and that'll be next, next Sunday. Uh, this Wednesday night... Hey, it went well. If you were here this Wednesday night, it, and I, I praise God that it went well because I told some already, I winged that thing. I winged it. Uh, I, I had that burden in my heart to present uh, 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 options to, to young families, giving everything that's going on in our schools. And so I had talked to Sister Ann Fisher, who's homeschooled three boys. Would she give a, uh, a presentation on it? And then Jim and Laura have recently started attending with us, opening up a new private Christian school in Bahama. And I took a long shot and reached out to Steve Noble, a radio personality, and said, look, Steve, would you come? I didn't know if he would or not, but he did. And he, he has a talk show every day from, from 4 to 5 on Christian radio. He's a, pretty, he's a pretty big person. But I didn't get a lot of feedback from him. I kind of, when I do something, I kind of want some order and some structure to know who's going to do what. But I never really got that from him until he walked in the door. And, but he's used to that. And he really presented a, a challenge uh, of what was going on. And he, he teaches some of these kids. He teaches many Christian kids. And so he knows kind of what their thought processes are. 
And he said some things, and, and it was a challenge to us, but he used some words that fit right into what I was going to speak about this morning. He used the words knowledge, he used the words wisdom, and he used the words discernment. He used those three words. And he used them in the context of how many thousands of hours, and I don't remember what it was, that children get in public education compared to the hours that they get in Christian education in Sunday morning, Wednesday night, Sunday night, whatever a child's exposed to. Then couple that with these things right here and how much information our young people receive through these today. Lots of information. But what he said is that there's so much information given to them, much of that information is not biblical, bad, thank you, Neil, that they don't have the wisdom to discern it. They can't take this massive amounts of information, particularly when you're taking young minds and introducing heavy sexual topics to them, and things like changing their gender, and these things are pushed into these young minds. They don't have the wisdom to discern it, to make good decisions. Basically what he said. And I, I just thought, wow, thanks, Steve. You gave me a great opening for Sunday. Because that's what he said. And in this passage of Scripture from James that we'll be going through, James 3, 13 through 18, and we'll read the whole text in just a moment, but James opens that up with a question. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? Who is wise and understanding among you? Who would you say that is among us? Is it the teachers? Is it the politicians? Is it the professors? Is it the preacher? It could be all of those. It could be none of those. Because the question is, where do they get their knowledge? And more importantly, where do they get their wisdom? And this morning, that's what James deals with. He, he draws a stark contrast between godly wisdom and earthly knowledge and wisdom. So if you have your Bibles, smartphones, iPads, you'll turn with me to James chapter 3. And we will read verses 13 through 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Lord, thank you for your presence. Thank you for your anointing, Lord, that we've already felt as we worshiped you. Lord, we pray that anointing continues to rest, Lord, on the ears of the hearers and on my mouth and our hearts, Lord, to receive your word. In Jesus' name, amen. If I were to ask you today, or if God was to ask you today, if he was to say, look, ask anything you want of me, and I'm going to give it to you, what would you ask for? Ponder that now, or ponder that today. What would you ask for? If you're sick, you may ask for healing. If... You're struggling financially, you may ask for money. 
Some would ask for money whether they're struggling financially. God, give me a million dollars. Maybe you would ask for a loved one that is lost to be saved. But what would you ask for? But there's actually someone in the Bible that that very thing happened to. That God appeared to him in a dream. And it was King Solomon. Solomon is known as the wisest man who ever lived. And he asked God. He was concerned. He was the king of Israel. He had taken over for his father David. And he said, Lord, I want to lead these people well, but I don't know how to do it. So God appears to him in his dream. And he says this. He says, Solomon, ask. And when I read this passage of Scripture, I found it interesting. It says, ask, with a big exclamation point beside it. Ask, Solomon. What shall I give you? And Solomon asked for a discerning heart or wisdom that he may rule the nation of Israel well. And it so pleased the Lord that he didn't ask for selfish things. He didn't ask for power. He didn't ask for money. He didn't ask for uh, uh, victory over his enemies. He asked for wisdom. That God granted him his wish. And that's found in 1 Kings three twelve through 13. The Lord said, Behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and an understanding heart, so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall, like, nor shall any like you arise after you. And also, I have also given you what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be anyone like you among the kings all of your days. So God said, look, since you didn't ask for all these things, I'm going to give you what you asked for, but I'm also going to give you what you didn't ask for. I think about Jesus when he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and other things will be added unto you. Seek God first. Seek wisdom. Seek the most important thing. And we'll see that, that this wise man knew that that was the most important thing. So God didn't only give him wisdom and understanding, he gave him riches, incredible riches, and he became so well known that people visited from all over the world to see this wise king. There's a story in 1 Kings 10 where a queen from a place called Sheba came to see him. Sheba would be, some say, Libya or Ethiopia today. And she said, i got to go see this man because I've heard that he's wise and he's rich. So she goes to see him. And the Bible says in 1 Kings 10, she asked him hard questions. He answered them all. And then she was just astonished at how wealthy he was. To lead her to say, you know, I heard about you, King Solomon, but I didn't know the half of it. I came here, you're much wiser and much more blessed than I could have ever imagined. And fortunately for us today, Solomon didn't keep all that knowledge to himself. He wrote it down. He wrote it down. It's referred to as the wisdom literature in our Bibles. Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs. We'll be looking a lot in the book of Proverbs today. October has how many days in it? 31. How many Proverbs are there? 31. So I'm going to challenge you, if you've never done this, that this in October, get your, get your Bible, and each day carve out time to read a proverb. Do that often. Maybe every time there's a month with 31 days, read a proverb. There's still... This man that was this wise, if I want wisdom, if I want to know how to live my life with the wisdom of God, I want to read behind the man that God himself gave the wisdom to. And he wrote it down in the book of Proverbs. He wrote Ecclesiastes, and he also wrote the Song of Solomon. There's also some other books that are known as wisdom literature, but these are the ones written 
by King Solomon. But in this passage by James, he gives a stark contrast between godly wisdom and earthly wisdom. And so what I think it's important that we do is maybe draw, define the difference between knowledge and wisdom. The difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is knowing about something generally through instruction. It's knowing about something. We get knowledge by going to school. We get knowledge by reading books. And knowledge is important. The Bible says my people perish for lack of knowledge. I think for too many times the church, particularly the Pentecostals, have been known as kind of ignorant. I don't check my brains at the door when I come into a relationship with Christ. I think it's important that we read Read things, read primarily the Bible, but read, maybe read behind people we don't even agree with. Maybe read behind things. I know one of the things that Colin and Madison did ministering over in an Islamic country was read the Quran. You know how to know what they believe to compare it and contrast it to what you believe. Know enough about who you are in God and the knowledge that you have in Him that nothing is going to shake it. But knowledge is important. And there's no shortage of knowledge in our world today. Right here in this area, we have four major universities. We have North Carolina Central, Duke, NC State, Carolina. And they're pumping out lots of knowledge. I thought I saw a study not long ago that per capita, we have more advanced degrees here in the triangle than in anywhere in the, in the nation, or at least in the top tier. We have some very, very smart people here in our area. They have a lot of knowledge. We even have something today called artificial intelligence. Have y'all heard about that? They've, just, they've defined it or described it as godlike intelligence. Be very weary of something that is godlike intelligence. And it might have that much knowledge. It might have that much intelligence. And you can use it, but it has no wisdom. It has no wisdom. A sign of the end times, according to the book of Daniel, will be an, an increase in knowledge. The Lord told Daniel in Daniel 12, 4, he said, But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. And we have so much information at our fingertips today. Used to, they have to come around selling those encyclopedias. Maybe you bought some years and years ago. Today, we Google it. And we can get anything we want at our fingertips. The problem is there's no wisdom to it. There's no context to it. Knowledge. So what about wisdom? It's the application of knowledge to a situation. It's to be able to take the knowledge that I have and apply it to a certain situation to make a good and a wise decision. Here's a simple illustration. Knowledge is knowing that the grill is hot. Wisdom is knowing not to touch it. I'm going to tell a story. Don't worry, Colin. It won't be too much longer. You won't be the butt of, you won't be the butt of sermon illustrations. But he knows what I'm going to say. Years ago, I got a call from Colin's school. And they said, Mr. Smith, we need to talk to you about something. I said, okay. They said, we were having a conversation today about good touching and bad touching. And Colin said his daddy made him touch a hot grill. And they said, we've taken him in the office and we've examined his hands. There's no scarring. Do you know what he's talking about? I said, yeah, I have a pretty good idea what he's talking about. So I said, well, and I told him the story. We, used to, we raised our kids camping. 
and we were at Emerald Isle camping. Tammy was at the bathhouse. We cooked, I cooked on one of those little hibachi grills about that big that runs off a of one-gallon propane canister. You know what I'm talking about? Well, Colin, he was probably four or five, and like four or five-year-olds will do, he's sitting there with me, and he looked at me, and he put his finger down to that top of that grill. I said, son, don't touch that grill, it'll burn you. So he pulled his hand back, and he looks at me again, and he puts that finger down there. I said, son, don't touch that grill, it'll burn you. He pulled it back. Here he goes again. I said, touch it. Touch it. Well, he touched it. And he pulled it back fast. And then my eyes welled up with tears, and I got him a cup of ice, and he was sitting there still crying. Tammy comes back from the bathhouse. She said, what's wrong with him? I told her, oh, well. Oh, well. See, I'd given him the knowledge. I'd given it to him. But he didn't have any wisdom yet as a little boy. He didn't have any wisdom yet. But he, gathered, he gained the wisdom because believe it or not, uh, not, a month later we were out, same circumstance, camping. I said, Colin, that grill was there. I said, you want to touch it? Uh-uh, uh-uh. Uh-uh. And I thought about, hey, isn't that how we are with God? We got his word. He says, don't do this, don't do this, do that. We do it anyway. We get burned. And you know what? He's there with a cup of ice to stick your finger in. I told you. I told you. And we see, we, we, we don't, sometimes we, the Bible says we're stiff-necked people. But we got it. where did the knowledge come from? And do we trust the person giving us the knowledge? He should have trusted me as his dad. And we should trust God as our father, that his knowledge is right. The Bible says, let, every, let God be true and every man be what? A liar. So that's the difference between knowledge and wisdom. But then there's godly wisdom and knowledge. How do we gain this godly knowledge and this godly wisdom? First, Proverbs 2.6 tells us it comes from God. Proverbs says, For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. The Lord gives it. And he gives it to those who obey him. Who obey him. Proverbs 2 and 7, the very next scripture says, He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. Moses talking to the nation of Israel in Deuteronomy 4, 5, and 6 told him this. He said, Surely I have taught you the statutes and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should act according to them in the land that you go to possess. Therefore, be careful to observe them. This is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, surely this great nation is a wise and an understanding people. When I read that scripture, I thought about something else that Steve Noble had said during the Wednesday night. Oftentimes, I think when we think about private school or homeschooled kids, we think about them to be weird. Or, okay? and even Anne was said years ago that that was one of her concerns. But he said this, he said, kids today that are coming out with a solid biblical foundation are more mature, they, they assimilate better into the workplace, into the places that they go to, because they have a, they have a knowledge of biblical principles that seem to kind of astound people when they come out. 
and go into the workforce. And that's what Moses is saying. You, the people you come, they will be astounded at your knowledge and your wisdom because you have gotten your knowledge and your wisdom from God and from keeping his statutes, from doing what he said is right and what he said is wrong. It comes from God. It comes to those who obey him, and we gain it through his word. Psalm 119. It's the longest chapter in the Bible. Who knows how many verses it is? 176. 176 verses. Here's some more homework for you. Read Psalm 119 this week. Read Psalm. The title of the Psalm is Meditations on the Excellence of God's Word. But in Psalm 119, 98 through 100, it says, You, through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies. They are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers. For your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients. Some say more than the elders because I keep your precepts. God's word will give us understanding. God's word will give us wisdom. God's word will give us discernment. But there's a starting point to it all. There's a place where all of this starts. And it starts and it begins with the fear of the Lord. And if there's any one thing that I think we have lost in our culture, even in the church at times, is the fear of the Lord. You know, when you really understand that we will stand before a holy God and give an account to ourselves, it creates a little bit of fear in me. God doesn't want us to come to before Him as His children trembling with fear of, but he does, we never, ever lose coming before the Lord in reverence. Proverbs 9 and 10 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Knowledge, wisdom, all these things, they begin when we fear the Lord. And you know something, church? He's no less holy than he was in the Old Testament. Just because we have access to him, Christ came in the form of a man. He went to a cross. He was crucified. While he was hanging there, the veil tore, symbolizing that now we have access to God. We don't have to come through the priest anymore. We don't have to come through the sacrificial system. The Bible says now we can come right into the throne room of God boldly and make our requests known. But we don't do that arrogantly. We don't do that flippantly. He's no less holy than he was in the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, when the priests had to go in to approach him, they had to make sure that they atoned for their own sins first. They had to sacrifice for their own sins. They had to cleanse because if they went into the holy of holies any old way, they went in there under, under penalty of death. They could die in there. It was serious business. And Aaron's sons, Aaron, the first priest, he had two sons named Nadab and Abihu. And, and you, they, they, they didn't understand the gravity of that. They thought they would just play fast and loose with the presence of God. And the Bible says they went in before the presence of God and they offered strange fire to him. Now, I don't know what all was entailed in that. But they went in, I think, with an irreverent spirit 
They went in as a mockery to God. And the Bible says that the fire came out from the Lord and consumed them. Now, I imagine if that happened some today, we'd probably straighten up. But he's no less holy. Just because we have access to him through his son, he's no less holy. And then Moses would go on to tell Aaron right after that happened in Leviticus 10.3. Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke saying. By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. That has not changed. That has not changed. You say, well, that's all Old Testament stuff, Larry. Okay, let's go to the New Testament then. Let's go to Apostle Paul and his admonitions in the communion. Now, I used to be afraid to take communion. And, and I don't want anyone, I don't want any follower of the Lord to be afraid to take communion. If you're here and you've repented of your sin, you've put your trust in Him, He's the Lord of your life, you're a candidate for communion. Because if any of us think we're going to be righteous within ourselves to take it, then nobody will take it. But Paul, giving the instructions in communion, he had people who were coming in, I think like Aaron's sons, they were coming in irreverently. They were coming in flippantly. They were coming in hungry. They just came in and gobbled up the bread and drank the wine till they got drunk. And he said, whoa, you people are not approaching this thing right. And he said, and because you're not approaching it right, because you're not approaching it reverently, he said, some of you are sick and some of you have died. So the things of God are holy. And he's no less holy today than he was then. And that was a challenge to me. I want to say, as I was looking through this and I was preparing this, I said, Lord, make sure that I take my own admonition here. I'm not going to come into the presence of Lord, you know, scared of him. He don't want me to do that as his son. But I am going to come in there with a reverent, with a reverent fear. See, I, I, like the, I like the scripture too that says, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. Jesus said that. And we are a friend of God, and we sing that we're a friend of God, and we are. And I thank God for that. But there's also times when I want to get on my knees before him and reverence him as a holy God. Because I know in that fear of him, in that reverent fear of him, is where all wisdom and understanding comes from. I begin to look at his word different. I begin to look at him different. I begin to look at me different when I begin to honor and approach the Lord in fear. So it comes from God. It comes to those who obey him. It's through his word, and it begins with a fear of the Lord. So how do we get it? How do we get it? Same way Solomon got it. We ask. We ask. James 1 and 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. You facing something in your life? Ask God to give you wisdom. That's what Solomon did. God, I don't know how to lead these people. Honestly, when Pastor Don called me in November last year, said, Larry, I wanted you to take church. When, Pastor? Now. God, I don't know what to do. What do you mean now? Now. I don't know what to do. God, help me. And he has. I ask him for wisdom. I ask him to help me. And I can tell you, he has. And he will. we got to seek it. Proverbs 4 and 7. Solomon said this. He said, wisdom is the principal thing. And we know that because when he was asked what he wanted, he didn't say money, he didn't say riches. He, he said, Lord, give me wisdom and give me understanding. And here he is writing down for the generations that wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And I love this statement. Get wisdom. 
And in all you're getting, get understanding. All you're getting. What are you getting today? Are you getting money? Are you getting a job? Are you getting a life? Are you getting this? Are you getting that? That's good. But be sure in your getting that you get wisdom. Be sure in all you're getting that you get the principal thing, which is wisdom that only comes through and by a relationship with Christ. That's what Paul's prayer was for the church of Ephesus. In Ephesians 1, 15 and 17, Paul said this, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. You want wisdom? You want to know how to make good decisions? Have the spirit of wisdom. It only comes through the Lord by the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul wanted. He, didn't have, he could have prayed for a lot of things for the people of Ephesus. He said, I want you to have the spirit of wisdom and the revelation and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That should be what we should seek for today. That's what we should be seeking today. James goes on to give some characteristics of godly wisdom and some characteristics of earthly or human wisdom in verses 13 through the end of the chapter. In verse 13, one of the characteristics of godly wisdom is this. He said it's good works done in meekness of wisdom. When we see people, there's those good works. There's those things that are, when we have a relationship with Christ, they spill out into wanting to do something for him. And James said you can look at their works and tell whether or not it's done in wisdom and meekness or whether it's done in earthly ways. And it's so different. Madison touched on it this morning. The wisdom of God, the way God tells us to live, is so different and more than ever than how the world tells us to live. It's upside down. Read the Sermon on the Mount. Read the Sermon on the Plain. We're to consider others better than ourselves. What? And this self-absorbed, it's all about me, society. I'm supposed to consider people other, better than me? Absolutely. Absolutely. Love and pray for your enemies. What? Do you know what they did to me? Do you know how they mistreated me? And you're telling me to love and pray for them? I'm not telling you. Jesus is telling you. To love and pray for your enemies. Give of your time and money. What? All that church wants is my money. That's all they talk about. Jesus said, give and it shall be given to you. He loves a cheerful giver. He said, store up treasures in heaven, not on earth. That's upside down from what, like Madison said in the offering, <clears throat> that's upside down from what the world says. Get it, get it, get it, get it. Save it, save it, save it. Don't give it away. And we are to make money. We are to save money. But we're to give it. And we're to give it liberally as God blesses us. Contrary, that wisdom is not the world's wisdom. That's the wisdom of God. Turn the other cheek. He slaps you, turn the other cheek. He takes your tunic, give him your cloak. All this is just contrary to how the world would tell us to win. And James goes on to give some adjectives to, to describe it. It's pure and peaceable. The wisdom of God is pure and peaceable. There's nothing peaceable about what's going on out in our culture today. Everything is strife. Everything is hatred. But the wisdom of God is pure and peaceable. It's willing to yield. It's willing to say, I don't have to have it my way. I'm willing to yield to you. I'm willing to yield. Not in what we believe. Not in things that 
we must base our faith on. I don't have to have it my way. I don't necessarily have to have the music my way. I don't have to have the service time my way. We're willing to yield. It's without partiality. It doesn't matter the race. It doesn't matter the sex. It doesn't matter the social economic status. I'm going I'm to I'm do good works and treat people well, regardless of who they are. And it's without hypocrisy. It doesn't do one thing, say one thing, and do another. Those are the characteristics, according to James, of godly wisdom. But then he gives the characteristics of earthly or human wisdom in verses 14 through 16. And I didn't go through all of these. I just picked a few. But one of them I picked up on was sensual. Now, I wonder if he was talking to his brother Jude. Because Jude uses that word. And Jude is James' brother. And he wrote the book of Jude. And he uses that word sensual. Jude does in, in, in describing what teachers and preachers would be like in the end times. They would be sensual. They'd be in it for wrong motives, wrong desires, money. We see that today. But there's several meanings to that in the Greek, and I wrote a few of them down. One of them is apart from God. It's apart from God. And I thought about Psalm 14:1 that says, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. They're corrupt. They've done abdominal works. There is none who does good. When you're apart from God, when you don't believe there's a God, the Bible says you're a fool. I don't care how many letters you have behind your name. I've seen people who have lots of letters behind their name. PhD, MDiv, JD. It goes on and on and on. Masters, whatever. they got a lot of knowledge. But I don't know that they have any wisdom. And I know they don't have the wisdom I'm seeking if they're apart from God. I was sharing with someone just today, I personally would not seek a secular counselor. I believe in counseling. I think that the church, particularly the Pentecostal church in years past, has been too critical of people who would seek counseling. There's some things, church, that cut so deep. When I think about people who've been in sexual abuse, things like that, that they need somebody to counsel through them through that. They need people to walk with them through that for years. For years. But I would never personally see or refer someone to a secular counselor. I want someone that's going to counsel me in this wisdom. In this wisdom. Now, I'm not saying there's not smart secular counselors. You'll make your own decisions on that. But why would I want to go see someone who may very well try to give me counsel that's outside of the Word of God? But sensual can mean apart from God. <clears throat> it can mean of the principle of animal life. Now, I found that interesting. Animals have no soul. They do what they want when they want to. There's nothing that governs them. And lastly, it says, governed by the natural or the carnal nature. That's the, that's the earth's wisdom. That's the earthly knowledge. I, uh, recently, I was reading something, and it was... Uh, it was a lady, and she had all those letters behind her name, very well educated. But she was one of them that was writing lots of papers and lots of things saying how it was good for young, young children to pick their own gender. She has lots of knowledge, but she has no wisdom. But the wisdom that she has is earthly wisdom. And the Bible tells me that in 1 Corinthians 3 and 9, this is what that wisdom is. I'm sorry, 3 and 19. It says, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. 
And that's foolishness to God. It's demonic, he said. That's pretty strong. He said there was a demonic wisdom. He said there was a demonic faith when we talked about faith. But he also said there's demonic wisdom. All that is, it's just the earthly wisdom is controlled by the powers and the principalities of this earth. They, they, don't, they don't discern it through this book. They don't discern anything through this book. It's all about their knowledge and their wisdom. It's demonic. He goes on to say it's self-seeking and confusion. And where it's at, confusion and every evil thing is there. 1 Corinthians 14, says, For the God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. If there's confusion, if there's confusion at it, God's not a part of it. That's part of the world's wisdom and the world's knowledge. Lastly, Proverbs 14 and 12 says this. It says, There is a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. And there's a lot of smart people out there, and they mean well. I remember when the ADF attorney was here with us, and I distinctly remember him saying that while they were waiting for a jury to rule or a judge to rule, they would sit together. Him, he, he would go out and he would sit with the colleagues on the other side, and they were the ones that were fighting for men to be able to be in women's locker rooms and some of the things that make us scratch our head and go, what? What? But he said, you know, they're good people. And they believe that what they're doing is right. They're attorneys. They're smart people. He said, but they're just lost people. They're lost people. And so they don't have the wisdom that he has as he looks at these things, whether it relates to sexuality or life or our money. You, know, you don't look at the things through the lenses of Scripture. You look at them through the lens of the world. And to them, there's, that seems right. But the Bible says it ends in death. It ends in spiritual death. I'm going to ask Matt and the team to come forward. I started this with King Solomon. Wise, wise man. God had given him the wisdom. God had given him the money. God had given him the power. He had given everything that many in our world seek today. And unfortunately, like many who start out good, there's many, been a lot of believers who start out good, but they get these things that God had given Solomon. And you know what they start to do? They start to trust in them. And, and that'd be easy to do. They start to slip away from what God told them. And that's what happened to Solomon. He began to slip away. He began to do the things that God told him not to do. To rely on him on himself. To, to marry foreign women, Solomon, when you do, they're going to lead you and you're going to worship their gods and you're going to do all these things I've told you not to do. And that's what Solomon did. And because of that, the kingdom was taken away from Solomon. And he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. Next homework assignment, read Ecclesiastes if you've never read it. That's Solomon's book at the end of his life where he goes through and I think as we get older, we contemplate our lives. You know, what have I done good? What have I not? What, what, what was really important? And that's what Solomon's doing. So if you want to read this wise man and what he said was important, read it. Because basically what he says is all this stuff that I had, all the money, the power, vanity. It meant nothing in the long run. That's what he says. And he ends the book in Ecclesiastes 12 
verses 13 through 14. And he says this. And this is for me today, and this is for you today. He says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. I've thought about my life. I've thought about all the things I've had. I've thought about the money. I've thought about the power. I've thought about this, and I've thought about that. But this is really all that matters. And this is all that matters in my life, and it's really all that matters in your life. He said, fear God and keep His commandments. For this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Wise, wise man. If you don't have that knowledge, you don't have that wisdom, you get it through and by a relationship with the Christ. Because you know, one smarter than Solomon did come. And he was teaching one day. Jesus was teaching one day. Teaching to a crowd. And he looked at them and he said, you know, he said, the queen of the south, he was referring to that queen of Sheba, she's going to rise up in judgment against you all. Talking to his people. Because you're seeking a sign, you want wisdom, you want all these things. He said, but one greater than Solomon is here. And he was greater than Solomon. He was wiser than Solomon. And now he's here. He's left us his word. He's left us his Holy Spirit. He said, I'm going away, but I'm going to give a counselor. I said, "I I wouldn't seek a secular counselor. I wouldn't. But I thank God I have the Holy Counselor. And I can go and talk to Him. He speaks to me a lot of times through this. But there's a lot of times in His presence when I'm just sitting down there in a, in a time of meditation before Him, maybe after re- or in a time of worship, and I'm, things are revealed to me. Wisdom and knowledge that the world can't give that only comes by the One that was greater than Solomon. I'm going to ask everyone to bow your head and close your eyes. If you're here today, you don't have a relationship with Christ. Or maybe there's some things going in your life and you're like, man, I need, I need wisdom and understanding and discernment. I'm facing some things. And I want the wisdom of God and I want the knowledge of God and the understanding that only comes through by Him. The altar's open. You can come down here and stand and someone will meet you and pray with you. He'll meet you here. I'm going to ask everyone to stand. One of the main points of this was not forgetting the holiness of God. And that's why when I heard the song that they were going to be singing, it just fit right in. Because he's worthy of it all. He's worthy. He's worthy of my praise. He's worthy of your praise. He's worthy of it all. Because from him are all things, and to him are all things. And then it begins with, I exalt thee. That means to set up in its rightful place. To set God in his rightful place. Now, sometimes I don't know that I have him in my rightful place on certain times and certain things. But that's where he belongs. He belongs on the throne of my heart. And so I want to I end this morning. I'm going to ask everyone to come around. They're going to sing that song again. And let's praise God. Let's, let's concentrate for a little bit on his holiness. Let's concentrate for a little bit on who he is. And the access he's given to him.
He says, come. Come reverently. Come to me. All you are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. So as you come into his presence, think for a minute about who he is. Think about his holiness. And think about the price that was paid to give us access to that throne room. And when you come down with your needs, if you have a need, he said, come boldly before me. Come on into my throne room through my son. But let's come reverently. Maybe you might want to come down and kneel. I think, I think a kneeling is something we've kind of gotten away from. But that's up to you. That's up to you. The altar's open. As they, as they begin to sing this, would you come and pray?